Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night. Uh, I'm going to take a look at the tefillah here, sponsored as always by Mishpacha Savansky. Last week I was out of commission. Uh, I've been waiting all week. I've been working all week on my lecture series that I'm doing on Motsi Shabbos here in Baltimore on the, the modern period in the, the 1990s, actually. And so I had to get that out of the way first. And uh, I'm also working on details of the Israel trip. I want to mention again, for those who don't know, I'm putting together a Jewish history trip to Israel on January 9th to 15th, which means from a Monday to a Sunday. It's a week. I don't have a lot of time. I can take a week off. And uh, there are a couple people joined the last couple of days. It's, it's coming together. So if anybody's interested in that, I mean, if you want to get, in other words, my take on Jewish history on the spot in Israel, so you'll contact me about it. And I'll put you in touch with my son who handles all the logistics. Uh... I was asked to talk about Modim, because I did a lot of the other things in the Shemonestre, and the Tefilas Modim, which of course is uh, is an unusual prayer. We call it Modim Drabonin, you know, right? And uh, of course it has different Nusuchs, as they say. I mean, the Gemara itself in, in um, Sota says it's a conglomeration, right? One says, Rob says, Modim Anach Ashana Modim Loch, and Shmuel says, Hey Bosar Ashana Modim Loch, and one says, Yotzerni Yotzerbrecha, different rabbis, you know. And by the time it's over, they say, Hilkach Nimr Lekulo, and they'll just put them all together. So don't look for exact diyukim, um, so to speak, uh, in the formation or the crafting of this particular paragraph. You can be back in the words, but not not in the form because it's it's a, a group effort, shall we say? And whenever you have a group effort, you know you could have said it differently or this, that, the other. But nevertheless, it's become what we call, you know, the 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 classic modem. And um, there are different different ways of saying it. It's not everybody says exactly the same way, but it's pretty much the same thing. Now, uh, modem, of course, at least the sources say. I you know, I don't know. Modim sounds like we're thanking God. The Gemara, or the who Beis somebody I forget who says there really should be Mishtachim, Mishtachim Nachloch. But we use the word Modim because you want to emphasize Mea Brachas. If you count the Gematria Modim, Mem and Avav is forty six, and then Dalit is eighty six, and Yud is is Mem is forty six, and Dalit is is forty eight, and then it's fifty eight, and then it, 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 let me do it again. <laughs> mem and mem, modim, is 40 and 40, that gives you 80. And vav and dalit, that gives you 90. And yud gives you 100, that's how it works. You know? So for some reason, they wanted to put it that way. Um, if you look up the source, I don't want to get too technical over here. Basically, you and I, when we're down, you say thank you. Now, why did they craft it this particular way? As I said before, even the Gemara says, it's a, it's, it's a uh, syncretistic effort in which... They added this guy's version and this one and this one. They put it again in a certain way. 
So what does it mean, Lemaisa? Uh, it comes out very interesting for the following reason. And I'm, like I said before, I'm giving you my take on it. That's all I can ever do. This is my understanding. And that is, Modi Manach, and so forth, I think that's one prayer, and other things were added to it elsewhere. That is a communal prayer. You're talking about Klal Yisrael. What does that mean? The rock of our lives and the shield of our salvation. That's talking about the survival of the Jewish people. Um, it could be, it sounds probably like, when you say pre before that, you're actually acknowledging that we're in Golis. Because if the Basimish was back, you wouldn't be saying, right? So that can put you pretty depressed. And yet at the same time, you could put a positive spin on it and say like this. Yes, we do not have a temple, and we can only use prayers and things like that, but we're still chugging. Here we are, right? The survival of the Jewish people as we all know, it's like a miracle. What does they say? Uh, it's like you throw a sheep into a corral full of hungry uh, wolves. What are the chances that that sheep is going to survive? And yet, in spite of what we just said, we do. And we Jews are helpless, really, at the end of the day, you know. At the end of the day. Even with Israel and all the rest of it. But, you know, if if this one leaves them in lurch and that one leaves them in lurch, I'm saying this on day that they get the, the election results in Israel. Nobody says, oh, hey, Biden, America, if they include Ben Gvir, they're going to, they're going to you know, cut them off. I mean, if America cuts off Israel for money, it's Ochenvei. So, how do we survive? We say, well, you, it's, 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 uh, Pratis, <laughs> right? It's Ashkacha Pratis. So, Tzur Chayinu Mogin Shein Badar, that is a, a, a prayer that probably was said once upon a time by itself. You know, Modi Manach Loch, so to speak, right? And, uh, you know, and I told the door, and uh, you, you, you're, 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 in every generation, you, you, you are our protection because we don't really have any other kind of protection. We've usually not had a state. We've not had an army. We've not had any kind of, you know, political framework. We don't even have a church. And yet the Jewish people chugged on. And not in a declining fashion either, necessarily. Before the modern period, Jewish people were not in decline. Now, many of them are, but they weren't then. So that's Modi Manachalach, all right? Now, then, they appended to it, um, what shall I say? They appended to it um, this individualistic thing, which is not for people. Well, let's concentrate on that. So the truth is that could even fit for a. That's a very interesting. Whoever did this very artistic. That's a phrase that would fit for a communal as well for an individual. If you say al you can say we as a Jewish people, our lives as a, as a collective. So, which is true, obviously, uh, that would mean our survival as a nation is a is is because of divine providence, and so the worshiper would then be saying every day, and so on and so forth, that we our lives as Jewish people as an am, 
is a, is a miracle. It's Mesur Biyadecha. However, it's also possible, and I bet you many people, I imagine, probably read it this way. Uh, and that is, you're talking about the individual person himself. You know, my life, for me, myself and I, to survive from day to day, and not have an accident, or this, or that, and the other, that's because, you know, my life is in your hands. And so, if I'm still here talking and saying modim, that's good. That means you want me to keep going. That's the way to understand that. And that's a nice segue because it says, So, sounds like an individualistic kind of business. So, and I th- I'll say it again. I imagine the overwhelming majority of people, when they say, there's nothing wrong with this, when they say modim, and if they pay attention to what they're saying, and by the way, I think the Mishnah Bur, if I remember correctly, says that, you know, the Kavon is Ma'akim and Modim. Isn't that right? I, I believe the Mishnah Bur says that. Um, the Kavon is Ma'akim. So, you know, you got, you got to know what you're saying. Now, um, that's very interesting. Our lives, in other words, my life, me, myself, and I, my life is in your hands, and those are my fellow Jews, and my soul. I'm thankful to you, Modim Loch, for Nishmoseyam Kudusloch. Now, people are wondering like this what is the exact meaning of Nishmoseyam Kudusloch? This is kind of funny, I'll tell you what I mean. Some intelligent person asked me, he says, Why do you say three times a day? You'd think Nishmoseyam Kudusloch refers to the fact they say in the, you know, that when a person is sleeping, that God takes the Nishama as a Pekotan. And when you wake up, you know, you get it back. Alohai Nishama Shanasatavi Tahori and so forth. So, what's the meaning? And if it means that, oh, now that I've woken up, you uh, restored my soul to me, so that should be for Shacharis. But not for Mincha, unless, as I always say, unless you're in a boring shear and you, <laughs> you slept before Mincha. But seriously, why would you say the other parts of the day? That's the question I was asked. And the answer, as I understand it, without being very, very philosophical, because the truth of the matter is, this is touching a hard nugget. And that's the question, what is the soul? And what is the relationship of the soul to the person? And I'll digress on that for a second. Who are you? Who am I? Now, I'll say, I'm going to say again, this is the way I understand. I could be right, I could be wrong. This is my understanding. Who am I? Um, am I my life force? No. You get it? My life force is my life force. That is to say, there's me, and I'm endowed with a life force. Well, we also believe I'm endowed with a soul. The soul is not me. Matter of fact, as you know, there's an entire theology in which they'll tell you that you have a Yitzhah and Yitzhah and the Shamas is given to you, and the Shama doesn't want to be here, and every time you're doing a very you contaminate the Neshama, the Shama would rather be somewhere else. And when you die, then the Shama goes its way, and the goof goes its way. It's all very unclear, sometimes poetical and rhetorical kind of passages in regard to the, the soul. But I'll put it, I'll, I'll place it on the table in the following way. When a guy dies, let's say, for example, uh, what happens then? So you say, well, you go to your heavenly judgment. Okay, let's get that straight. So you don't go to heaven in a physical way. It doesn't exist. Physically, heaven doesn't exist physically. It's a metaphysical, correct? Heaven and hell, there's no actual place where you burn. 
Uh, now, there is a strange Ramban. I'm not going to go into that. If you want strange stuff, read up on the Ramban in the Shar HaGamol. But even with all that, I'm putting that aside. Pashim Shat, you don't, you know, when a person dies, um, their goof is kala. So in other words, the body disintegrates in the ground, becomes dust. So in other words, you're obviously not the body. I'll say it again, your body disintegrates, and your soul, we believe, does not disintegrate, typically. So, wait a minute. So what happens? So does the soul go to heaven or hell? Do you see what I'm asking? But but the soul didn't do anything wrong. Get my point? You did something wrong, or you did something right. When you do something right, the soul likes that, we believe. When you do something wrong, the opposite. So, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell in the sense of, if you're not going to a place because there's no actual place like that, it's describing a reality, it's not a fantasy, but it's not something that can be described in physical terms, but let's call it a place just for the heck of it even though we don't mean it. So you're going to a place where you can be judged, and if you're rewarded, you'll go to heaven, you're punished, you go to hell in one fashion or another. I'll say it again, I don't mean literally, but you know, let play with me. Right? So who is it that's get, getting judged, and who is it that's going to Ganeid, and who is it that's going to Gehen? It's not my Nishama. It's me. But wait a minute. Who is me? My body's gone. The soul, we just said, was endowed to me. So the soul is, is, is an attribute of mine. It's something I have. It's not me. But if there's no goof and there's no neshama, so who is me? And the best thing can come up with, the best I can come up with is a term that you would never find in Old Swarm because they never use these kind of terms. And that is the human personality. That's the best way I can understand and approximate it. There's an there's a irreducible you. When God created you, he created you. And he then gave you a soul, and he gave you a goof, and maybe some other things. And now you're on your own for however long you live. You will give an account. You will give the account. Not the soul and the other things. Uh, so that's very interesting. You've given us Chaim. Again, Chaim is not me. If I'm alive, I am endowed with Chaim. It's an attribute. And our souls are Pekudos Loch. So it doesn't simply mean, you know, this is what you take every night as a, as a deposit, you know, like, like the old Coke bottles, you know, as a deposit. But rather, it means that you're describing um, the soul and you're thanking God for being endowed with the soul, which is Pekudos Loch. Now, if you ask me the question about the morning and the afternoon chakras, you're forgetting that as far as the soul is concerned, time doesn't exist, or it's beyond time. The soul, by definition, is metaphysical. You can't find it or locate it anywhere, and yet we see it. This is how the ancient peoples already, even not Jewish, came with the doctrine of the soul. You understand? I mean, you can look at Aristotle and places like that, and he tries to, you know, divide it up into the five souls and all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Just go and look up, I don't know, you know, Aristotle's idea of the soul. You have the nutritive, the appetitive, and the sensory, and the locomotive, and the mind, and all this other kind of stuff. He was, you know, or we would say, Nevesha Bahamas, Nevesha Sikhlis, 
But they don't really mean that there's something separate in you called the Nefesh of Bahamas, and there's something separate you call Nefesh of Siklis, because separate would mean that it's physical, and yet they are distinct. So we're in a funny kind of situation. We're in a funny kind of situation in which we try to understand the Nishama. Okay? And there's a lot of Agatitas back and forth about this, but you never know how to read the Agatitas, especially since we've never seen the soul. And so that's why you find different Rishonim, and maybe elders, are going to learn it, so to speak, different. If you want to know what the Torah San Hashama Biyadis, that's like a book, you know? This one says this, that one explains it this way, that one explains it that way. You check out the Mesilas Hashama in the beginning, you know, whatever, whatever you want. But there's not going to be any kind of distinct clarity in a kind of a physical way. And it's very hard for us who are physical to get distinct clarity on metaphysical matters. Uh, simply because we don't know. Now, we see, this is how Aristotle operated those guys, that there's obviously a life force because this is me and next to me is a corpse, let's say. So the, the, the two of us look alike. We both have eyes and skin and hair and so forth. But I'm alive and that isn't. So clearly, I'm possessing something that the corpse next to me doesn't possess. But where is that something? Are you going to examine it and find it in my nose, in my brain, which is probably the way the Greeks in ancient times thought, that your life force is located in your brain or maybe in your kidneys. I'm serious. Or in your heart. The Bible uses such language. You know, they don't literally mean in a cardiac way. You know, in your you know, because your heart's just beating a... It's a what is it? It's, a, it's an organ of the body. A very important organ of the body, but it's an organ of the body. These are metaphors, that, you know, for the seat of the life force. But none of them are real because, you know, if you open a heart, you won't find the life force there. So you see where I'm going, that's why I say it's confusing, okay? Uh, but once the ancient philosophers, let's say, for example, way before Aristotle, said there's a life force that he tried to speculate what it's like, and they ended up calling it a soul, which we would, in Judaism, in the Middle Ages, call Nefesh of Bahamas. Uh, okay, so you see how complicated Nishmoseinu Abkudoslach is. You can take it weiter and do like Chaim Velozhin, you know, in the Nevesh HaChaim, and really get into the idea of Vayipach Baba Nishmas Chaim, and you can talk of the Nishama in that way. But even so, Adam was not identical with his Nishama. He couldn't live without his Nishama, but to be perfectly honest, he couldn't live without his goof. Correct? person doesn't live in the physical sense unless you have a goof. Nevertheless, people wouldn't say the goof is the acre of the Adam, right? Uh, so you're dealing with something that cannot be... You see it, because you see I'm alive and the thing next to me is dead, but you can't locate it. It's actually a great um, uh, paradox to my mind. Now, I'm not a uh, an anatomy person, a physics person. Maybe the scientists have a better handle on this, and I'm very serious. But as a regular, fairly intelligent person who's not a specialist... I say, like they always have, there's a life force. In Judaism, we identify with an neshama or something like that. But the person is the one endowed with it. So when I say, that you gave a neshama, the neshama is held by God and not held by God all at the same time, simply because God is above time. This raises the question, for example, uh, a person lives 50 years or 100 years and then dies. And at the end of those hundred years, his neshama goes up to heaven. 
there's no in, in heaven there's no hundred years. You know what I'm saying, right? So in other words, the Hashem was already there while the guy was alive, as it were. Meaning in in Olam Hazet terms, not when the guy was alive, but in ultimate terms, there's no time. So Nishma Hosea Bakuda's Lach is sort of acknowledging that the Neshamas are, you know, Bakuda's Lach at all different times. You can't say in the morning. For God, there's no morning. You know, there's no afternoon. That's the that's the whole point of a Neshama. I, what do you do with the fact that you have the Gemaras about, you know, when you go to sleep and the Shamash and the Satavitaurati and so all the rest of it. I get it, you know, I know. But modim doesn't match with that, not in my opinion. And they don't have to. In Judaism, especially when it comes to prayers, and particularly with the Shemun Esri, and particularly with the modim, which is conglomeration of different ones, it doesn't have to be that it totally, you know, conforms to this way or that way. The person is say, saying, I'm thanking you that you gave us the Neshama because I am alive, and the Neshama is the most important part of me. I said again, part of me. It's not me. It's, it, it, you know, it's the most important, maybe that's not the right word, the most important resource I have, perhaps that's a modern word to use, you know, the most important endowment that was given to me as an endowment. But it's not me, okay? And therefore, it's okay to say, Now, once you think in those terms that you're sort of like, not at specific times of the day, but they're permanent things, the Neshama is always Pekudas Loch. And like I say, in, in earthly terms, there's times for that when you sleep. But in non-earthly terms, it's beyond time. So then you're saying, Right? Then you're talking about the, 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 these are Nisim. In other words, everything I just described is kind of supernatural in the sense that it's not natural, because natural have to be subject to time and space, be physical. And here you see things that are real because we're living them. We are living them, but they're you know, but but at, uh, you see them, but they're not kind of rational. So that's what you call it. One way you can call something that's real, but it's not national. You can call it a nace. You see, uh, others call it mysticism, but I mean, in old Hebrew, that's a nace. When you see a miracle, you're saying I saw something that made no sense. The Red Sea split. But I saw it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, a guy who was dead, they made tris and mason on him, you know, like Elisha. I saw it. So, you know, it's an ace. That's the word we use. It's an ace. Uh, now, again, that's a little bit sophisticated. I'll bet you most people, knows I don't think that when they put this prayer together and was composed, they expected people to be so philosophical. Or maybe they expected the philosophical ones to be that way. But the regular Hamunam, I think they had just had in mind, and it's totally fine for every one of us to have in mind, it's totally fine for a person to say like this. You know, once I think of Chayinam Surah and I'm thinking medical, to use modern terminology. And modern man, in terms of medicine, is a marvel because, uh, as you know, you need the body to work perfectly 24-7, endlessly, without a stop. If the body starts stops working in any way, boy, do you feel it. <laughs> I tore a meniscus, boy, do I feel it, you know. Uh, so just to, to get through the day every minute, 
your body, which is a, a remarkable machine, as everybody knows, is a remarkable machine. You need to keep chugging along all the time. So if you think about it, that's and that's what the guy is saying. So you see how it kind of evolved from a statement in the first part of the paragraph about Jewish survival and the Klai throw on the one hand. Then they appended to it um, a piece that's sort of like, is in my mind, transitory, but can be read either way. Which could be the Chai of Klai Yisrael, or your, our own lives as physical people. Uh, look, you know, that's uh, as, as a prayer in which you're happy you have health. You know, you have health. And that everything's in working order, as as the expression goes. Uh, and you don't appreciate, of course, until you reach the point where you see other people for something is not in working order. And therefore, modim it's what you thank God for every day. I'm sure a young person, a teenager, doesn't say modim with a lot of kavana. A guy gets to be my age, you say modim with a lot of kavana, you know, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Um, maybe people said a lot of it in the corona. You, you see what I'm saying? When there are challenges to the health out there, potential or actual, then you notice it. Um, and then, of course, it was on the Secha Shabchoyimimono. The Nifla Secha Batuba Secha is just like a restatement, a uh, fancy restatement of on the Secha Shabchoyimimono. Because, um, like I say before, if you don't have good health in the time and place, then it, you know, it doesn't work. The Rambam says very famously and correctly, not all men are created equal, despite what it says in the Declaration of Independence. You have to be born at the right time in the right place in order to have the the uh, the the ability at least to develop your soul. You know, uh, uh, drama believes in an active intellect and all that stuff, what they had in the Middle Ages. But you have to, like we would say to the to, to Arbitzach, you know, to work on yourself. And 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 in German it sounds better. You know, you have building. You you build yourself up, uh, which is what Warsaw Judaism is really into. Although. People may not know the word building. And you can't do it if you're not born in the right time in the right place and have the right circumstances, and then you make the right choices. So let's say there was a guy who really would be, by Teva, a big learner. He'll be a very religious person. But he has the misfortune to be born in Poland, place in 1931. So by the time he's 9 or 10 years old, he runs into the Holocaust. And then for five, let's say he survives the war. By the time it's over, he's 15, 16 years old, and he's emotionally ruined and mentally ruined, this, that, and the other. And let's see, he even survives and comes to... I mean, you know, he ain't going to be what he could have been. It's not his fault. He was. He didn't choose where, when or where to be born. Suppose someone is born, unfortunately, you know, with an illness or with a, or a mental problem. or something. It's not true that everybody's created equal. And suppose somebody's born in a family where he's normal, but his parents are nuts. I've known friends like that. Uh, you see what I'm saying? A lot of things have to come together to to create, so to speak, the perfect human being. And then the person has to want on his or her own to pursue knowledge and Torah and all that kind of business. Because some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they have all the things that they need. Their parents are rich. You know, if the kid wants to, he can, uh, you know, plug away and learn a whole shots and this and that and the other, whatever. Zohar for all I know. And he, he or she is too lazy. For a hundred reasons. You know, so a lot of things have to come together. It's like a house of cards. Easy to knock down, very hard to put up. Uh, that's the meaning of Niflosech, but that was Erev, 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 Erev,
uh, that you need niflos and tovos all the time to enable you, notice, to provide the background or the, uh, what's the right word, the tashtit, what's the the framework, for you to be able to go and cultivate yourself. So it's it's a little bit like anti-arrogance. I can't sit there and someone asks me and say, yes, look, Rav Shalom, every day I learn, I'm, I'm making this up, every day I learn 10 blot. You owe me one. Really? I got news for you. You're lucky you're in the situation you are. God has made it available to you to do what you want to do, and in your case, you're doing the right thing. Uh, but without all that special divine help, you wouldn't be able to accomplish anything of what you're talking about. It's a little bit of a humbling experience. This is my understanding of this um, of this unusual paragraph. There are other ways of understanding it. Um, but I think what I just said is the one that speaks most directly. At least it does to me. Uh, especially the idea of Anish Moseh, which calls into uh, attention timelessness. And timelessness is such a major part of spirituality because we believe that although we exist in a zone of time and space, at the same time we exist not in a tone of, uh, of non-time and non-space, if I can use that. We also exist metaphysically, or as it says in the Bible, and the Shemayim does not mean the sky. The Shemayim means the metaphysical, and the arts means the physical. So if that's how God created the world in the first place, we, we coexist, or we have two existences at the same time. This is not some complex thing I'm saying. This is Judaism 101. I think many... Perhaps most of the people listening to this are familiar with this at one level or another. And um, I mean, they could all make a whole business out of it, but even in basic Judaism. And what you're saying over here is, uh, in order for me, you know, to exist in this world successfully, I have to have Nishmosev, I have to have success in, in the other zone of existence as well. Uh, I'm not going to say that's simple and push it, but it strikes me that if you look at modium intelligently, the best I can think of it, uh, this is um, a basic kavana for a person to have, in my opinion. Anyway, I want to thank Mishpacha Zavansky as always, and I wish everybody a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com